We've been uh, talking over the last two weeks about this, this oxymoron called Christian atheism. Uh, if I asked you what, the, what an atheist was, you'd probably say it's someone who doesn't believe in God and therefore uh, lives like he doesn't exist. But a Christian atheist is someone who does believe in God, but still in areas of their life, lives like he doesn't exist. Uh, we've described that around here for years now as, as this kind of Christian living. I, I believe in God. I want him to have these parts of my life, but in these things, the stuff I tuck behind here, I'm going to continue to be God. I'm going to live as if he doesn't exist or he doesn't care about those things, and I'm going to do what I want. Uh, this is uh, not as things should be in the Christ life. Uh, we come by it honestly. Uh, we talked first uh, the first week about cultural Christianity, uh, that uh, we are, especially here in the South, just kind of culturally Christian. Fifty years ago, if you were meeting someone for the first time, one of the questions they would ask you is, where do you go to church? Because that was just what you did, right? And uh, certainly I know there's many of us here who are here because we want to be here and because we've always wanted to be here, and I'm grateful for that. But there are some probably even sitting in this room right now. You're not really sure why you're here. You've just always done this. Uh, perhaps you like the idea of God. Uh, you're familiar with his story. Uh, you're a fan. What we, we said that first week is that there's lots of fans of God, people who like the idea of him, people who know about him but don't truly know him. They haven't entered into a relationship with him. And because they haven't entered a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, uh, they're, they're not fussed out about him. They're not really engaged in life with him. So we don't want to be just fans of God. We also don't want to be bench warmers of God. Uh, we talked about, remember that, we brought the football players up. We talked about there's two people on, or two different kinds of players on a football team, the ones that ride the bench, the ones that are in the game. And as Christians, we want to be in the game. We want to be engaged with God relationally through faith in Jesus Christ, but we want to be engaged with God experientially and practically in the lives that we live. So that's what this series is about, us eradicating Christian atheism, us moving forward in our faith, us surrendering all of our lives to him. Last week we talked about being customized Christians. This is another thing that kind of plagues the church. We love taking the things we like and leaving the stuff we don't. Give me grace and mercy, big gobs of those, but don't, don't tie me up to any kind of righteousness, right? Now give me, you know, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. Give me that, uh, but don't make me responsible uh, to, to live out uh, in the ways that you want me to live out uh, relationally or sexually or any of those other things that we kind of... Uh, lower the bar in. Today uh, we're going to talk about comfortable Christianity. Everybody comfortable today? Put those nice foamy black chairs out for you. Everybody remember uh, sitting on them wooden pews growing up? Remember those? The torture chamber that was that seating arrangement, right? Could hardly sleep on that stuff, right? <laughs> Give us 15 minutes. Look around. You're going to see people enjoying their morning Sunday nap. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, comfort is, is not wrong, certainly. Uh, we air condition this place because we figure most of you wouldn't show if we didn't, all right? Uh, but comfort is not the point of our Christianity. Does everybody understand that? Now, it's easy to nod our heads and understand that, but it's also very easy to slide into that kind of thinking where we're thinking, well, comfort is about uh, all there is in Christianity. I just want to be comfortable. Uh, in fact, the, 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 we're calling this some, uh, when we talk about Christian atheists, we're going to talk about today about believing but not wanting to get carried away. It's another way of saying I believe in God, but I, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to get all fussed out. I don't want you know, to put a fish on my car uh, I don't, <laughs> or whatever you would equate. Uh, but certainly I don't want 
my relationship with Jesus to make me uncomfortable in any fashion, in any way. Uh, uh, we want to, as comfortable Christians or as people who don't want to get too carried away with this whole Christian thing, we want to belong, we want to be in, uh, but we don't want to be too intense or fussed out about it. Uh, we'd love to be Christians without breaking a sweat if we could. I, uh, I worked out yesterday morning. Uh, I, I run about two miles now most of the days that I go to the gym. Yesterday, I doubled it. I have two courses that are two miles. I ran them both. It, no, it was brutal. Don't, don't be like, wow, it was painful. No, don't clap. It hurt. <clears throat> and I got to the stoplight. My friend Jeremy saw me there. You can attest. Testify. And so I was, walk, I was walking at that point. I was walking uh, to the gym. Got to the gym. I'm just, has anybody been running in Florida at 830 in September? You sweat just a little bit, right? And so people are, you know, I know folks in the gym now, and they're wanting to shake my hand, my old trainer and stuff, and I'm like, hey, you know, let's just pump, let's just bump fist. Because if I grab your hand, everything that's flowing out of my ducts right now is just going to go right down my arm, and you're going to be as soaked as I am. Let's just not do that, okay? So I go in there, and I, I, I'm working, you know, uh, chest exercises. I get on the bench. Uh, you know, I, I take a little rest because uh, I needed one. And then I started into my workout. And this guy walked in almost the same time as me, dry uh, as dry, doesn't go to any of the machines that could, you know, give him some cardio to warm up, and he just sits down on the bench next to me and starts doing this with his phone. And then after I'm done my workout, he gets up from where he was playing with his phone on that bench, and he goes to another bench. I totally just started something on my phone just then. Awesome. He goes to another bench, and he continues to play with his phone for the 30 or so minutes that I was working out near him, never lifted a thing, never bent his elbows or his knees. And I'm pretty sure he walked out, however later uh, that he walked out, and went home and told his wife, because I saw the ring or whatever, uh, hey, he had a great workout. I don't know if he poured some water on himself so that he looked like he was sweating or something like that, but I will attest that the whole time he was there, didn't lift a thing. And I thought, hey, that's church for some people. That's the Christian life for some people. Dress up, get all the gear on, uh, head to where you're supposed to head, be where you're supposed to be, sit where you're supposed to sit. But when it comes to this whole working out your salvation with fear and trembling, when it comes to living this life, breaking a little sweat in the name of Jesus, getting uncomfortable so that you can grow, People just aren't as much about that. Just make me comfortable, Mark. In fact, I'd appreciate it if you'd preach stuff that I could just nod and smile at all the time. Bless you. <laughs> Would it surprise you to know that God's not into comfortable Christianity? He's just not. Uh, lots of places in Scripture we could go to, but I'm going to go to one of the most familiar. It's here in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation, just real quick, so it's a long uh, discourse between God and this guy, John, who was living on this isle called, island called Patmos, and he, he just wrote down what he heard from God and saw from God in this vision that he had from God. And it starts out uh, in the first two or three chapters with being primarily, primarily like a, he's, a, he's a scribe. He's, he's taken letters for Jesus that he once sent, Jesus once sent to these churches uh, that are existing at the time uh, of the turn of the century, and so, or turn, first century. So, uh, so he writes seven letters. 
And most of the letters to these churches start out with, hey, you're, I see that you're doing these things, you're doing great, but I want you to change this. He gets to the seventh letter, which is what we're going to read, and it's this church called Laodicea. And Laodicea is this kind of like uh, uh, gated community, uh, uh, 1% community uh, of, of the ancient world. It was known for its banking. It was the banking center of Wall Street uh, of the ancient world. And it was also uh, a medical center. They had uh, great advances in uh, medical treatments that were located there. And so it was all white collar, gated communities, the muckety-mucks, the uppity-ups that went to that church there in Laodicea. And uh, when when Jesus is telling John what to write to the Laodiceans, uh, it, it doesn't start with, I, I see all kinds of good things that you're doing, try working on this. He just starts blitzing them right off the bat. Here it comes, ready? Uh, he says to them, I know your works, just so we're all clear, God sees everything you and I do. Don't think you ever get away with anything. Just because you erased the history, fellas, God saw that, okay? I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Verse 16 So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Who's heard this preached before? Anybody heard this one? It's a pretty familiar familiar verse or set of verses. Um, And a lot of people, they misunderstand it when they read it the first time, or some people even preach it wrong. Um, They they use it to say that we should live our lives on fire for Jesus. Okay, that is true, and other texts in the Bible do teach that, that we should fan in the flame this faith, it says, uh, when Paul's talking to Timothy. There's definitely texts that say you should be on fire. This isn't one of those texts. Because what does it say? I wish that you were either hot or what? I wish you were either. But you're neither. You're lukewarm. And therefore, I want to spit you out of my mouth. You'd have to know a little bit about uh, Laodicea and where it kind of sits in the ancient world. It's kind of this, uh, uh, it's in this place called the Decapolis. There's 10 cities that kind of surround Laodicea. And one of the cities is called Hierapolis. And in Hierapolis, they have all these hot springs like in Arkansas, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they're like the ancient hot tubs uh, of the world. And, and people would leave their you know, gated communities in Laodicea and go spend the weekend in Hierapolis and just you know, have a spa day, just hang out at these hot springs. And it was this place where they would go to refresh, refresh themselves and replenish themselves. It was restorative in its nature. Are you with me? Now, you, you, you'd go to Hierapolis for that, but you would go to Colossae, which is where we get our biblical book, Colossians, you would go to Colossae, and in Colossae, they had one of these deep aquifers that got way down to the, you know, the bowels of the earth where the water's coldest. Ever, ever gone to a fresh spring where the water's really cold and clear? Those were very rare, still are very rare in the, uh, in the, in the Far East. And, and so uh, this was the coldest water you could get for miles around, and people would travel to Colossae just to have a drink of cold water. Think about it. No ice cubes, no refrigeration. Uh, everything was kind of just you know, room temperature unless you went to Colossae, and then you could actually have this idea, this cold, they didn't know what cold was, this cold drink of water, right? So that's what God's talking about. He says, you know, you're neither hot, refreshing as a spa, nor cool, refreshing like a cold drink of water. You're neither of those. You're lukewarm. Some of you guys drink coffee. Anybody got coffee with them right now? It's the sermonade, right? This is... This is it was a late night last night, and I got to listen to him, so I'm going to, uh, uh, right? Do you like your, your coffee hot when it comes out of the whatever? Uh, yeah. Has anybody come back to your desk after like six hours of work, and there it is, you know, the Starbucks you bought early in the morning that you only took two sips out of, but it's been sitting there on your desk all day? You're going to nail that? You're going to just 
polish that off, are you? No, you're going to take one sip of that and be like, mm, no thanks. The macchiato is macchiato, right? There's iced coffees now, right? Anybody drinking iced coffee? I had a couple in the, or you got one right now? Anybody got one right now? Had a couple in the second service, or first service. Um, yeah, uh, you can ice the thing now. But, but if, listen, if, if the iced coffee tastes as bad as like a soda, and here's, this is a little free tip I'm offering this weekend. When you go through a drive-thru and you get like a soda out of a, out of a you know, whatever, tell them to hold the ice. Because here's the deal. They're filling your cup up with ice so that they only have to fill uh, your soda up halfway. Like I, I went to McDonald's the other day and I ordered a large uh, you know, Diet Coke with no ice. And they, they took the, uh, the cup and it, when they, they have like automatic fillers now, it only filled it up halfway because the ice takes up the rest of the room. They had to fill up a medium-sized Coke uh, from the actual hand dispenser to fill up the rest of my Diet Coke. And I was like, I'm on to you guys! <laughs> Ripping me off with my soda. And it comes out cold. That's the free tip of the weekend. You're welcome. Now, if you take that same soda, though, and you leave it in your truck for an hour, which I've done on many times, and I've uh, gone after it sitting out in a hot sun parking lot somewhere, uh, and I've you know been out uh, kind of you know walking around or doing whatever, and uh, I come back to the, and I just want a refreshing drink of my cold soda from an hour ago. Guess what? I, I put the straw in my mouth and I and I'm like right because it's now as hot as the black interior of my black truck, and it's nasty. Have you ever, have you ever had like a, a boiling Coke? The bubbles go. It's just not very tasty at all. I'm, I'm overplaying this, but are you getting what Jesus is saying here? You should be hot. You should be cold. You should be refreshing to me. But you're not. And because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's the Greek word, emeo. Everybody say, emeo. That's pretty good. Uh, it means puke, vomit. This isn't like, this is, he took Laodicea into his body. They became one. There was the initial joy of their relationship with him. But because of their lack of actions, because of their choice for comfort, as we're going to see here in a second, uh, they're so repulsive to him that he wants to yak them out of his body. They're not just not tasty. They're repulsive. It's kind of... uh, Scary thing to think about, that sometimes in our Christianity, even though he loves us because he's righteous and holy and he looks at us in our laissez-faire, lackadaisical kind of approach to him, we make him sick. Loves us, but he makes us sick. Anybody got someone like that in your family? You love them, but they make you sick. As God's children, we sometimes make that happen. Here's why, verse 17. He says, here's the reason you make me sick. For you say, I am what? I'm rich. I have what? I'm prosperous. And I have need for how much? Uh, Read into all of those statements, I am comfortable. Comfortable. These Laodiceans, these one percenters of the ancient world, they'd gotten all this stuff from the world that they could get, and it just made them kind of numb to their spiritual needs because they needed nothing. They had prospered. They were rich. By the way, all of those things that happened by the grace of God, does everybody get that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, it says in James, right? Everything you got came from him. So you'd think if you had everything that made you comfortable, you would be spending your time thanking the one who gave you everything to make you comfortable. 
But what do we do when we get comfortable? We think we're awesome. I made myself comfortable. And if I'm comfortable, I need for nothing, and therefore I need not who? I don't need God. I don't need to honor him. And I certainly don't need to go out of my way. I'm not going to break a sweat for him. Everything in my life is fine. He says, you say I'm rich and I'm I'm prospered and I need nothing, but you've totally missed the point. You've missed the fact that you, Laodicea, are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked and losers. And he could go on, but he probably ran out of paper, right? Does everybody get where the run was there? He went after him. He didn't just say one thing. He said five. Anytime you see that kind of emphasis on something, uh, the Holy Spirit through the biblical writers is really trying to drive home a point. And his point is this. You think you're here, and you've forgotten that you're here. We do that all the time with God. We tell him how to do his job because we put ourselves here and we put him here. But the, but the truth of the matter always is that God is in control. He's in authority. And we are always, except for his grace, right? We are always wretched and pitiful and blind and poor. That, that's just who we are. When we forget that, things go awry. I was a, uh, a high school basketball player. I came uh, to my senior year, and my family moved right before the high school or the senior, my senior year began. I moved to Illinois. I moved back after six or eight weeks. And I kid you not, I still have it in my scrapbook. The Bangor Daily News ran a story before the basketball season uh, saying that the the Caribou Vikings, which is where I was from in Caribou, Maine, uh, were now favorites to win our region, and it's all because I moved back to town. Right? I read that paper, and I was like, I am all that and the entire section of Frito-Lay chips. Not just a bag of chips. All of the chips, right? I thought I was awesome. And I was, you know, I was a decent little ball player. Uh, I wasn't going to make, you know, a Division I team anywhere, but for, for the pond I was in, I was a fairly sized fish, right? So I, I went about my business thinking I was all that. Uh, won the first uh, three games that we played. We, we came into this game against this, this squiddly little team called Nokomis that should have never been on the gym floor with us, and we played down to their level. Anybody been a part of that? Kind of like Florida in the second half yesterday. Anyway, uh, just saying, just saying. I don't have I don't have a dog in that fight, but wow. Anyway, uh, <coughs> so we weren't we weren't winning. We were, it was a nip and tuck game. We came to a timeout, and I uh, I had had enough with everybody. I mean, I was certainly to blame for you know a lot of our problems as well. But I was the guy in the in the newspaper article. And so I was going to tell everybody what they needed to do. And then as my coach was berating everybody, by the way, my coach was a, a, a 35-year veteran of many state championships. Uh, he, was, he was like the Bill Belichick of high school coaching in Maine, uh, in our region. And uh, so he was getting ready to tell everybody what's what. And so I, I said, I got this. I didn't say that out loud, but I just started talking. And I, I, I confronted him at the end of my tirade. And uh, he pointed to a seat far down uh, the bench, and, and that's where I planted myself for the rest of that game and the next game and the next game and the next game as our season slowly slipped away. Because 35 years into it, he doesn't care if he loses. He's got trophies. But you're not going to be thinking you're the coach when you're not, Mark. Put me in my place. 
We can argue whether or not that was a good idea, you know, overall. Uh, but it certainly helped me understand what I think the scriptures are teaching here. So easy to lose sight of who we are and who God is. To think we're something when we're nothing. Our comforts numb us, is what I'm talking about here, to the truth of who we are without Christ. But secondly, our, our comforts, uh, they also become our priority over Christ. Uh, they become our pursuits. Remember the, the story of the rich young ruler, you know, comes up to Jesus and says, what do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus says, keep all the rules. And he says, nailed it. And then, and then Jesus says, well, you got to go sell everything. And give to the point, and then come follow me. And remember what the guy did? Did he go sell everything and follow Jesus? No, he went away sad. Why? Because his passion was not Jesus. His passion was his stuff. He'd become inoculated by the comforts of his life. And those were his chief pursuit. And this is so easy for me. I'm sure it's easy for you. We're Americans. We have the right uh, uh, to, you know, our, our, our whole creed is uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? We're, we have the right to be happy. It's, it's what we're all about. Is, and so comfort is what we live for. We work Monday to Friday to get to Saturday. And uh, it's so easy for the things of this world and the stuff of this life uh, to push Jesus off the throne of our hearts and, and, and relegate him to secondary status. Shel Silverstein uh, wrote this book. You remember this book growing up, The Giving Tree? It's 50 years old now. Uh, I don't know anything about Shel Silverstein's theology. I'm, I'm, I'm not guessing he's Christian. Maybe he was. I don't know. Uh, and I'm not equating this little kid's book with the Bible in any way. Does everybody hear me say that? Okay, it's not one for one in, in any shape or form. But there are some really interesting parallels to what he wrote in this little book. If you don't remember it, it, it kind of goes like this. A little boy uh, has this tree. I guess it's in his backyard or somewhere near his house. And they have this great relationship. The tree loved the boy. The boy loves the tree. And the boy loved to eat the apples and swing from the branches and sleep in the shade of this tree. And they just they had this great relationship. But, but the boy grew up. Time passed. And the joy of the tree kind of became secondary to him. He met a girl. There's actually one of my favorite panels in the whole book is you can see uh, two sets of feet sticking out past the stump of the tree. It's prominent almost every page. And on the, on the face of the tree, there's a big heart carved into the tree with the boy's initials and the girl's initials, right? And it just says the boy got older. And he stopped coming by the tree. And he... He wasn't there often at all. And, and when he did come back, the story goes on, when he did come back, he just wanted things from the tree. He comes back as a young man. And he says, I need money. And the tree says, well, I don't have any money, but I got apples. You can take all my apples. You can sell them in town. You can get some money. So he takes all the tree's apples and goes and does that. He comes back later in his life. He's probably, you know, the, the book indicates he's ready to get married. And he comes to the tree, and the tree says, oh, come, swing in my branches, and, 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 and you know, let's just have time like we used to have. But he says, no, I don't have time for that. I've got to build a house. I need a wife and some kids. And so the tree says, well, I don't have, but i got branches. You can take all my branches, and you can build a house. And so he does. Comes back as an even older man. Life has apparently not treated him well. He's angry. And he comes to the tree, and the tree says, swing. Well, I don't have branches anymore. At least just let's hang out. But he says, no, I, I need a boat to get away. And so he cuts the tree off right to the trunk, right to the stub right to a stump, and he takes the tree and hauls it off and hews a boat out of it and sails away. Comes back on the last few pages, and he's an old man. And he comes to the tree, and the tree is still happy to see him. 
And the tree says, ah, but I have nothing to offer you. My apples are gone. The guy says, as an old man, well, that's okay. I don't have teeth to chew them. She says, my branches are gone. And he says, that's okay. I couldn't climb up there and swing from them anyway. He says, my trunk's gone. There's nothing from which you can build something for yourself. He says, I'm too old to build anything anymore. And the tree says, well, all I am is this stump, right? And the man says, it's all I need. And he sits down on the stump. It's the last panel. This guy's sitting on the stump. And I don't know, you know what the book meant to you or what you tell your kids when you read it to them. But what it means to me is to be satisfied, content in the things that you've been given rather than going and finding other things elsewhere. Be grateful for what you have. And, and again, I'm not equating this book with the Bible, but, but does everybody pick up the message that John's trying to share, G- Jesus is trying to share through John with Laodicea? Hey, man, you, you think that all these other things, your riches, your prosperity, that your lack of need, that, that's your God, but you've totally missed out on me and everything that I have to offer you. I hope this uh, sermon in the time that we have left is just kind of a, a, a systems check for everybody. Anybody ever gone in to get your tires done and they offered to do a, you know, a, full, a full systems check for you? We'll plug it into the computer and we'll check your fluids and blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's what I'm hoping happens here today. Because here's, here's what I, I think about all of us, your pastor included. We all suffer from this. We're all doing this in some way. Every one of us in here, yeah, we're, we're, none of us are completed in this Christian life. None of us have nailed it. And so every one of us from time to time suffer from giving God this part and keeping this part from him. And so I want you to just run a check. Where, where are the areas that maybe uh, you run into being a comfy Christian? You run into being um, predisposed to worshiping yourself instead of God. Uh, am I a comfy Christian? Let's ask some questions. Here's, here's five things that I think comfy Christians do. If you see them in yourself, we'll pray about them at the end together. You ready? First one is this. A company Christians, they want acceptance from people more than from God. Acceptance from people more than from God. It's especially difficult for high school and uh, middle school and college age students. Peers become, uh, you know, the all, uh, all important in your life uh, at, at that stage of life. Uh, but even as you grow into adulthood, uh, you can pursue and persist in wanting the approval of people uh, more than the approval of God. I... Uh, I think that comes from us being not just comfy Christians, but from being covert Christians. We like to blend. We, we don't like to be, you know, boat rockers in, in, in the environments that we find ourselves in. If it's just relationally safer for us to not mention Jesus, to, to not, you know, stick out as weird because we follow him, then, then that's what we choose. We used to play this game uh, as, as a high school pastor. Uh, we would have layovers, layovers as part of our travel for missions trips. And so to pass the time... Uh, this was back before all the security and stuff uh, was instituted in airports. Uh, but to pass the time, we would just kind of walk through airports. We played this game called Blend, okay? And so uh, we would be walking along, everybody just kind of doing their stuff. And then in the middle of an airport, you know, terminal, someone would be told to just whenever they felt like it, say the word Blend. And everybody in the group had to blend in with the scene that they were near, Okay? So if you were near a wall, you would just plaster yourself against the wall. If you were near a column that was holding up the airport, you would wrap your body around the column. If you were near a tree that was kind of one of these fake trees outside of these kiosks, you know, like a Starbucks or something like that, you had to basically stand next to the tree and try to shape yourself in the form of those branches as people were having their breakfast right next to you. And you would just stand there as a high schooler and be like, 
Sorry, it's a game. I, I won't be here long. As soon as they say go, I can, I can leave. Is that, a, is that a caramel macchiato? Those are great. Anyway, uh, and then someone would say go, and then you just keep walking to your destination. And the fun part was to get to your, you know, your gate and finally be able to say, did you see one eye? Did you see? I had to wrap myself around that one dude. He got really mad. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> stupid games. But, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's an equally stupid game for us to be playing spiritually when we go out in the world. Because here's what happens. You come in here on Sundays, we're all free to be Christian, right? It's normal in here to be Christian. Sing the songs. Where else do you go in the world and sing songs, right? Sing the songs. Listen to the preaching. Nod your head. Maybe feel sassy and say a couple amens every once in a while. Not real loud, but you know. But then as soon as we hit that, that, that entryway or that exit way, going back into the world from this place, it's like someone yells, blend! And you spend the rest of your week trying to fit in with everybody else. God's not crazy about that. Paul, one of his uh, best followers in Scripture, was writing a letter to his friends in Galatia, and uh, he just... Um, opens a can up on, uh, on all of the leaders in the Galatian church that were teaching that you needed to be Jewish instead of Christian. When you read the first nine verses of that book, he's, he's pretty clear about what he thinks of them, okay? And he, he kind of, you know, he's, he's anticipating as he's writing this letter, they're probably sitting there, everybody looking around at each other, being like, did Paul just say that? Did Paul just take our leadership that believes that you've got to be Jewish before you're Christian to task like that? Is it, did that really happen? Is that in there? And so Paul, Paul writes this qualifier. He says, hey, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Answer to those rhetorical questions, no. Absolutely, you're trying to honor God in the things that you're saying. You wouldn't be taking people to task if you weren't. He says, if I, this, this is the part I want you to get. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Everybody see the math that he just threw down there? Pleasing man does not equal pleasing God. You can't do both. You can't have the honor of man ahead of the honor of God. Comfy Christians, secondly, they, they rarely talk about their faith in Christ. They're just not ready to uh, be open about it. It's kind of akin to what I was just talking about, preferring man's approval over God's, but uh, this is kind of a symptom of that. They, just, they don't want to be looked at funny. They don't want to be ostracized. So they just never talk about their faith with people. Uh, this, again, is not something that Jesus is crazy about. He says as much to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 when he says this to them. He says, do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Uh, rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Well, that's pretty stark. But what's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you're going to be afraid of someone, if you're going to be uh, beholden to someone, don't. Don't, you know, go to the people who can only mess with you physically. Uh, revere and honor the one who can mess with you physically and spiritually. Here, and then he goes and he says some really familiar things. Look what he says. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Back then, that was the case. And he says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He's talking about the sovereignty of God. And his point is, is listen, if you're going to be afraid of men, afraid of speaking my name in front of men, you're forgetting that I'm in charge of men and that I control situations that a half-penny sparrow doesn't fall from the sky except that I say okay. Who's heard this one? Anybody heard this one? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Anybody heard that one? Some of us, the count's not as high. But all the, num- all the hairs on the head are numbered. 
Do you know what the context of that is? Boldness. He's talking about his sovereignty in the context of boldness. Don't be afraid of men. I count the hairs on your head. I I tell the sparrows when to fall. He says this. He says, fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And he finishes with this. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. But, verse 33, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, People who have grown up not believing in the doctrine of uh, eternal security, this is one of their favorite verses. Because they can say, if you die, God, you you lose your salvation. Uh, Has anybody heard of this guy, Peter? Yeah, Peter, uh, uh, three times, the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, denied that he even knew the guy, right? Does anybody remember what Jesus did with Peter? He, He restored him. He asked him three times on a beach, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, so just because you and I sometimes deny God by how we live or deny God by refusing to talk about him, don't think you're going to lose your salvation. I don't believe that's what this text is teaching because uh, God will love us back. But is, is it emphatically saying, I want you to be bold in front of men with your faith in me? Yeah. Be well, Listen. I was talking to my buddy Tino this, uh, this morning. He told me a story yesterday. He was out to dinner with his wife, and he, he saw a young baby who was obviously, you know, physically impaired, and, and he, his heart just broke. And he went up to the family in, the, in this, you know, Smoky Bones, and he said, hey, can I pray for your baby? That's a little awkward, you know, for some at dinner. But I'm always amazed that when I hear these stories, the people who are being asked if they could be prayed for are like, absolutely. You want to pray over me? Knock it out, bro. And Tino prayed right there in Smoky Moans for this family. And you can pray for his little boy. His name's Asher as well, okay? Uh, it, it's amazing to me how often uh, when we do finally get the courage to say something about Jesus, it's exactly what the, the, the doctor ordered. It's exactly what he was intending us to do because it's ministering to the people who do it. But even, listen, even if we bring up Jesus and people malign us and scorn us and say you're an idiot for believing that, which is going to become more prolific in the culture we live in. If you haven't, you know, picked that up, that's the vibe we're heading for. But even if they do that, we serve the one who's in charge of the halfpenny sparrows. We serve the one who's got the hairs on our head numbered. Uh, he's got us. Just go ahead. Talk about it. How about this one? Comfy Christians, uh, they're soft on sin. They are conviction-averse. They don't like knowing or even uh, being told that they got any problems. They're like the husband that when their wife wants to bring up something that needs to be fixed in their relationship, he, he just lists off all of his accomplishments because, you know, these are the things that make me husband of the year. I provide for my family. I work hard every day. I cut the grass around here. Who pays the bills? And he just lists off all of his positives so he doesn't have to deal with his negatives. It's cowardly. Did you hear me when I said that, fellas? If that's your defense to your bride for the things that she needs you to change and fix in your relationship so that your marriage can move forward, you listing off all your positives is a cowardly act in, in, in refusing to not uh, deal with your, the things that need to change. Ladies, same for you too. So you're not like, yeah. But even right now as I'm preaching, some of you are like, I wish so-and-so was here. Or you're like praying a hole in the side of the head of the person next to you right now. You know what I'm saying? Because you're like, I hope he's getting this. And it would never occur to you that I'm preaching to you. 
It would never occur to you that there's something in your life that needs to change because you got stuff back here too. Well, you know why? It's because you're comfortable in your Christianity and you're just not interested in hearing about your own sin. You just want God to fix everybody else's. Jesus tells this parable of this Pharisee who was uh, praying in the temple next to this tax collector. and he's, he's basically talking to God and thanking God that he's not like this loser over here. And then the, the, the parable goes on and Jesus says, and the loser, the tax collector, is just, oh, he's just beating his chest and he's, he's repenting and lamenting over the fact that he is, just like the Pharisee says, a loser and have mercy on me, God. And Jesus says, you know who God likes? He likes the loser who ethically and morally may not even begin to compare to the Pharisee, but at least he knows he's a mess. The Pharisee won't admit it. Comfy Christians, uh, they use God only in case of emergencies. Anybody got one of these? Uh, it's a pipe wrench. Uh, if, if your uh, you know, pipes leak, and things go crazy uh, in your house so that that doesn't flood your house, you use this to, to shut things off if all else fails. Um, uh, I don't carry one of these on my belt because I don't live my life in fear of the pipes not working, right? So this is just available to me whenever I need it. But when the pipes have not worked, I have been grateful that I've had this. Lots of Christians, that's their attitude towards God. As long as everything's rich and prosperous and I need for nothing, I don't need God. But when the cancer diagnosis comes... Well, I'm going on Facebook then. My faith's taking a jump. I'll get in every prayer group you got. Why? Emergency. Marriage is failing. Kids are sick. Lost my job. Here comes me and Jesus. But then as soon as the dust dies down, we just put the wrench away. Because that's all God is to us. What I would prefer is that people would have this mentality. I think that's what God wants too. That uh, uh, we would see him as one of these. Anybody got a, a smartphone? I know all the high schoolers do. All right? And has anybody spent a fair amount of time looking at this thing? You know why? And I'm not saying this is what, I'm not espousing this, but I do a little experiments. I go out in the, in the world and I just watch people. Does anybody like watching people? If people uh, are in a situation now in life where they, they have time to kill, this is it. Stand in line at Chipotle. It, no one's looking at the menu. No one's talking to anybody else. It is 12, 15 people deep just doing this. And you know why? This, is, this has a wealth of knowledge on it. Hey, listen, I used to ask you for directions to your house. You know what I ask you for now? The number. Because I don't need directions to your house. I just need to know what number it is so that I know what to plug into here so I know when to stop. I used to have questions about life. I would ask you guys. I got a search bar on this thing, and I can know who sang Hold the Line from 1983, Toto. Um, <laughs> but I can know that in five seconds instead of you and I going through all the songs from the 80s together. And so I don't ask you anymore, right? I want to know what's going on in the world? I go to this. I want to talk to someone? I go to this. This is... It's going to be sewn to our hands eventually, or they're going to like figure out a way to... like. You know, put the screen on the inside of our retinas and we'll like text with the back of our teeth. I don't know. It'll, it'll just be like that. But it's just a part of our lives. Now, for better or for worse, it's the way this is. But listen, this is what God needs to be in our lives. He needs to be our source for direction. 
He needs to be our source for information on, on the questions that we have in our lives. He, he should be our, our primary communication. Listen, how about this? When things get slow in your life, he needs to be the one that we hang out with. I don't know about you, but like, I'll try anything else rather than just praying or talking to God sometimes. I'm ADD, and I just want to fill my mind with something. But what would it be like if in my Christian life, if I got a spare moment, I, I went to him, and I hung out with him? So the question is, who's God in your life? I'm out of time. If I can skip down to the very last verse that I want to cover in Revelation, that'd be great. Keep going. That's a good point. Go online and watch that one. It's a good point. The one who, con- oh, go back, yeah, there we go. This, this is what it says as we close out Revelations. Because the question might be from you and me, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable in my Christianity. And I know that there's things back here I need to deal with. How do I deal with them? How do I go uh, from this comfortable Christianity back to a vital Christianity with Christ? Well, this is what Jesus told the comfy Christians in Laodicea. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. A lot of people have heard, use this verse as kind of a salvation verse. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you want to become a Christian, Jesus is knocking at that door, just let him in. That's not the context of what this verse is uh, in, in this particular part of Scripture. Uh, he, he's talking to a bunch of Christians who have gotten comfortable in not truly following him. And Jesus says, hey man, if you want to, if you want to kick this back into gear, here's the deal. You just got to open the door. And isn't that, isn't that the crazy thing? That God, he could force himself on us. He could force, you know, situations on us that we, we were constantly in emergencies and we always had to, he could do any of those kinds of things to get us more aware of him, but he, he doesn't do that. He invites us to invite him. He says, I'm just going to stand at the door and knock. And if, and if you want to, listen, if you want to deal with the stuff that's back here, I'm ready when you are. I'm available to you. It's going to take you doing this, though. You're going to need to open the door to me. You're going to need to ask me to come in, spend some time with you, to eat with you, to to do life with you again in this area of your life. We can fix it, Jesus is saying. We We can take this part of you that you haven't surrendered, and we can fix it, but you've got to let me in. So everybody bow your heads, and we'll close this way. I want you to picture as your eyes are closed and you're just kind of in an attitude of prayer. I want you to picture whatever it is, as I've been talking these past three weeks, that's kind of held behind your back in your relationship with God. It could be a a secret sin, something that only you know about. It could be an attitude that uh, continues to hold you back in your relationships with people, if it's anger or bitterness. Uh, It could be selfishness, just general selfishness. That's mine most of the time. I just get really enamored with the guy in the mirror. But whatever, you, whatever yours is, just think about that. And then <laughs> picture the Son of God, Jesus himself, knocking on the door of that piece of your life and saying, hey, I want to I revolutionize this area of you. I want you to surrender this to me. I want to help you with this so that you can have freedom in this and so that you can follow me more fully in life. Now picture yourself opening that to him. And today, if God's leading you to it, 
uh, surrender that to him right now. I'll give some time for you to do that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we sit in this room, this quiet room with heads bowed, and, and every one of us, I, I pray, you know, uh, having this opportunity to deal with you personally with stuff in our lives. I know there's folks in here who probably don't know you at all, and uh, so they're doing whatever uh, they're doing with my instructions. Lead them uh, to this, this first um, uh, repentance, this first step in their relationship with you. Draw them into faith in Jesus Christ, God. But for the rest of us who have faith in you, uh, and we've kind of, you know, in certain areas of our lives, uh, chosen to, to live like you don't exist. Would you, God, give us your strength, your grace, uh, your power to overcome uh, our own selfish desires, our own unwillingness to change and bend. Convict us, God, and lead us out of that uh, area of uh, uh, unbended knee out of that area where we refuse to surrender to you and, and lead us into surrender, God, and grant us uh, peace in that area of our life with you. Show, what it's, show us what it's like uh, to be uh, in step with you uh, in those areas where we've worshipped you not. Uh, we'll thank you for it. If there's people in here, God, who need to talk to someone else after this is done because uh, you've dealt with them in these initial uh, times of prayer, Lead them to our pastors and our counselors. Lead them to their life group leaders or their small group leaders if they're students or whatever you need to do. Give them uh, the conversations, God. They're going to uh, take what's happened in their hearts in these few moments and, and, and make them real. Make, make those choices stick. Uh, lead us, God, to change and keep us there, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'll be over here in the corner. We'll talk to you next time.